Good morning. This morning we're reading from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 33, and we start with the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired man and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a, possessed, of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered there around him, saying, How long will you keep us in dispense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you... A mere man claimed to be God. Thanks, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for your prayers this week and for those who've inquired. Um, despite the fact that I'm the sole bloke coughing in the corner with my post COVID asthmatic response. I have a very good doctor, it turns out, and I uh, feel a whole lot better and have it under control. Uh, but I really am very grateful for those of you who have been praying for our whole family as we adjust to being back. And uh, I wanted to tell you a little story 
um, there was this sheep farmer way out west. We'll call him a shepherd. And he's tending his flock when this city slicker rocks up in his BMW and his smart suit. And he hops out and he comes over and he asks the shepherd, if I can tell you exactly how many sheep you have, can I take one away with me for my dinner? And the shepherd looked at him quizzically and nods tentatively. And so the guy gets his laptop out, flips it open, pushes a few keys, and he pulls up some satellite photos and runs a few algorithms, and he looks at the shepherd and he says to him, you have exactly 1,401 sheep. Impressed and surprised, the shepherd says, you are right. Go ahead and take one. And so this guide loads up one of the animals and puts it in the back seat of his car. And as he's doing so, the shepherd looks at him and he says to him, now... I bet all my sheep against your car, I can tell you what you do for a living. A bit of a gambler, the guy says, sure, I'm game. And he says, you're a consultant, aren't you? And the guy looks a bit surprised. He says, how did you know? Well, says the shepherd, you came out of nowhere, even though I never asked you to. You drive a flash car and wear a slick suit. You told me something I already knew and you don't know a thing about my business. Now give me back my dog. <laughs> so today, today as we come to John's Gospel, we're going to learn a bit about the business of shepherding. Not from a consultant, but from the living Word of God. Something about what it means to be sheep and something what it means to be shepherds. But above all, how we can take our lead from Jesus Messiah, who is the good shepherd. Um, shepherding and sheep, they're metaphors, they're pictures used in the Bible, but really they're a way of thinking about caring, how God cares for us and how we can care for one another. So um, if there's a big idea, which I'm going to put up on screen for you for today, it's this. The good shepherd Jesus can even use silly sheep like us to be good shepherds in his church and good shepherds in our community. So we're coming before the very word of God. Let's pray that he would help us to hear what he would have us hear. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you that Jesus is indeed the good shepherd. Thank you that we are your precious sheep gathered by you. Thank you for your word. And thank you for your spirit who is our teacher. Pray that you'd help us to see Jesus all the more profoundly and wonderfully for who he is, Saviour and Lord. We pray that you'd help us to live as your sheep and shepherds in your church and in our community for your glory and for our good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Forgive me. <laughs> If I give you a heads up on this, can you just cut the sound while I do that? Thank you. Okay, so my first point, three points today. My first point is this, that Jesus is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And this is verses 11 to 21. Um, this series, uh, I am Jesus Messiah, is really to show us that Jesus is God's saviour and Lord, to show us who he is. And we're working through the I am statements, which relate back to God's first self-revelation to his servant Moses in Exodus 3, where he says, I am who I am. There's so much richness and depth to that statement. 
But profoundly, Jesus, as a man, takes those words upon his lips and declares himself through them to be God. Jesus claims to be God. And with Jesus' I am statements, John is sharing God's plan and purpose. In fact, John's purpose is clearly stated at the end of his gospel. In chapter 20, he writes... Excuse me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So if Jesus is God's chosen Messiah, if Jesus is God's only Son offering life, what must we believe about Jesus And how may we have life in his name? Well, I think Jesus, in declaring himself to be the good shepherd, answers some of these questions for us. Have a look with me at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We heard quite a lot about this last week, uh, very helpfully from Langdon, in the first 10 verses of chapter 10. But he now goes on to describe how he owns the sheep. And in verse 12 and 13, he says he's not paid a wage. He's committed and he cares. A good shepherd looks after his sheep. Indeed, he puts his life on the line. He's not a hired hand who runs away. And he's not a wolf who attacks the flock and cares nothing for the sheep. Rather, he is the good shepherd. And by the way, folks, um, we're sheep. Did you know that? We are sheep. And I want you to imagine yourself as a sheep. Can you do that for me? It's not that wild. I mean, George Orwell did some of this in writing Animal Farm. And today, most of our kids pick up these movies like Sing and um, what's the other one? Um, Oh, gee. Zootopia. Like all the Disney and Pixar films that, that um, present people as animals, that, that, well, God was doing it a long time ago. In fact, in Isaiah we read, um, we are sheep and we're like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us gone to his own way. Sheep are like that, aren't they? I mean, sheep are quite vulnerable creatures. If one of them starts and runs off, what do the rest of them do? They all follow, don't they? And sometimes you get sheep, um, when they feel threatened, they, they all just sort of bunch together. Uh, a, a sheep, when it falls over, I don't know if you've ever seen this, it's funny. Well, it's not funny, of course, but it is funny. A sheep falls over, and it just sort of lies there with its legs in the air. And you've got to get somebody to come in and turn it the right way up. And actually, sheep are very susceptible to falling down gullies. And when they cut themselves on barbed wire, they get very sick very quick. They need to be cared for. They need a shepherd, and we... Folks need a shepherd. We need a shepherd to care for us, and Jesus does. Jesus cares for you because you are special, because you are precious, because God loves you. He cares. And Isaiah goes on to say in verse 11 of chapter 40, he will will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with young. We are silly sheep who go astray. And I wonder how you have been astray this week. We've prayed our prayers of confession 
But sometimes it's good to reflect on perhaps how we've hurt ourselves or how we've hurt others or how we've been hurt by others. Little sheep, precious one, God loves you and he cares for you. Receive his tender care and be assured of his love for you. Jesus fulfills and confirms what Isaiah, God's prophet, said when he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Male, female, young, old, Jew, Gentile, listen to the voice of the shepherd. Verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I'll bring them too. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is God's plan in Jesus to unite Jew and Gentile together as one flock. But Jesus also will not overlook a single one of his precious sheep. He will not lose you. He is good. He will not run away from you. He will not do you harm. In fact, he lays down his life for you. And Jesus shows his authority in this world by declaring himself to be God, I am. And he proves his authority by doing two things. He lays down his life for your sins and for mine. And he lays down his life to take it up again and defy death. Verse 17, my father loves me because I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Some people, historians, have said, well, Jesus was the victim of circumstance. No, Jesus is purposeful. He is on his way to lay down his life for his sheep in Jerusalem. And verse 18, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again as my Father has commanded. What does he mean? Well, he will die on a cross for our sins. And he will take up his life again to have the victory over death and to confirm his identity as the great I am. Jesus says his purpose as the good shepherd is to lay down his life for his sheep to live the life in obedience to the word of God that you and I could never live, to forgive us our rebellion against God, to lay down his life when our life is required of us so that we might be forgiven. You may or may not know this, but you can't live up to God's perfect standard and that God expects perfection. And death came into this world from the beginning because we failed to be perfect. But Jesus, God's son, was perfect And he had the authority to die in our place and to rise and to be raised to life to assure us. And Jesus is here with us now by his spirit because this is the gospel. This is the news of the good shepherd. And this divides people. I mean, we read it in verses 19 to 21. Did you see it there? That the Jews who heard this were again divided. Some say he's demon-possessed and mad. Others say, well, a demon-possessed madman can't open the eyes of the blind. You remember how he healed the blind man in chapter 9? But also there were those who believed and were healed spiritually to see who he was. And today some of us believe Jesus is indeed Messiah. And some of us today deny Jesus as Messiah. And some of us are still undecided. And I want to say for those of you who are unsure, 
Jesus is worth investigating. And in fact, Langdon will be running a Christianity Explored course beginning this week. And if that's you and you'd like to know more about this Jesus, then hop onto the website or speak to Langdon if you're here today and he'll be able to point you in the right direction to learn more about Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and what he has done for you and what he will do for you. And I think that would be a very wonderful thing to do if you're unsure. But for those of us who are sure... And we're saying to ourselves, well, Jesus, forgive my sins. And I know I will be with him forever after my death in this world. He's given us a job. And this is my second point, shepherding his church. Actually, this is what his church is all about. It's about being sheep in shepherd's clothing. Jesus takes sheep like you and me and puts on the shepherd's cloak. And he says, here, do my job for me. He clothes us as shepherds, verses 22 to 24. And unlike Jesus' day, when everybody would go to the festival of dedication at the temple, we don't find everybody rocking up on a Sunday to church, do we? I mean, some of our friends and family are at sports days, and some of them are uh, off at the cinema, and others are having social events, but praise God that you and I are here. But, But unlike that day, when everybody came to the temple and would hear what was taught, we've got to go out and about, haven't we? Uh, Rather like um, Jesus sent out his disciples in Matthew 18 to go and seek the lost. Rather like as we read about um, the the parable in Luke 15 of of the shepherd that goes to find the lost sheep and brings them home. Um, We have a job to do to help people have the opportunity to ask that question, are you the Messiah? Or, Or in today's language, can Jesus really forgive my sins? Can Jesus really take me through death? And so, brothers and sisters, I think clothing us as shepherds and shepherding in his church are kind of, there's the positive and the negative side. Firstly, the positive side is that we are enabled to show and guide people to the good shepherd, Messiah Jesus. Praying for others to know the love that the good shepherd Jesus has for us. Showing the good shepherd Jesus in the way in which we speak, and the way in which we act. Bringing others to hear about the Good Shepherd, not just at events like Christianity Explored, but our wonderful creative connections on a Tuesday morning, and our Women Alive on a Thursday morning, and our men getting together for the tin shed, and and on Friday afternoon and evening, where all our youngsters gather together, and to listen to Jesus' voice as his sheep, and obeying his word, not just today on a Sunday, but every day as we have opportunity to share the scriptures with our spouses and children and grandchildren. Maybe even for some of us listening for the calling that he has for us as sheep and shepherd's clothing to lead his church. But all in the context of knowing, as he says in verses 28 to 30, I give them eternal life, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You know, if Jesus is for us through death, and he's got us preserved into eternity, then we have opportunities to be courageous, don't we, day by day, knowing that fact. So people and parents and pastors, teach his little sheep his ways. Read his Bible with us. And let's keep thinking about how to apply his word into our world today so that the next generation doesn't wander off into idolatry and immorality. And and so coming from the positive, I, I, I... I want to take us into the, the negative side because, because I think our other role is guarding against the hired hands who run and the wolves 
who will harm. Who were the hired hands and the wolves? Well, I think the hired hands are the ones who don't stick it out in times of trouble. I, I think that some of the Jewish leaders in that day were negligent. Um, they were taking the wages, but they weren't caring for the sheep, not having the hard conversations where necessary, uh, not being available for those who were going through t- tough times. But I think the wolves, those are the hired hands, the wolves are the ones who actively harm God's sheep. Very sorry to say that there are some then and now who, whom the devil seems to get a grip on and somehow they become his agents for the lie. And, and I know this because Jesus, if you remember, in chapter 8, if John has already said to a number of the Jewish leaders, you are the children of the devil. This is primarily because they denied who he was the Messiah and the Son of God. And in fact, that's the very reason by the time we get to the end of this passage in verses 32 and 33, they want to stone him because he's claiming to be God. So who are the wolves? Well, firstly, I want to say that they're dressed in shepherd's clothing. It's not new. It's been the way since the beginning. All the prophets throughout Israel's history have have said this, and Judah, of course. Um, You remember how um, Jeremiah spoke before the exile warning of wolves and then during the exile Ezekiel and then after the exile Zechariah basically saying that these are people who care for themselves and their opinions and teach what is contrary to the word of God and so these wolves who look like shepherds lead sheep into idolatry that is false worship and immorality that is living outside God's good design Secondly, I want to say that they deny Jesus as the Messiah, and so they serve the devil's lie. And and my challenge to us today is to be really careful, because I talk to people who are followers of Jesus, but want to mix in a little bit of Buddhism. And, And I talk to people who are followers of Jesus, and they say, Jesus paid it all, and his grace is sufficient for me, but to stay in, I've got to, I've got to do something to keep myself there. Have you found yourself having these kind of conversations with people? That's where the whisper of the devil is getting in. Something that I think, um, ultimately, we need to cry wolf. Thirdly, are those who teach a way of life that is inconsistent with the Bible. And as I get into this, I don't want you to hear me wrongly. God loves gay people. He loves them. He loves straight people. He loves confused people. Our government has legislated for same-sex civil partnerships and what has been described as marriage. And we submit ourselves to those rulings because we are good and obedient servants. However, marriage defined biblically is the exclusive, lifelong, unified commitment between a man and a woman as complementary. That is the Bible and God's definition of marriage. And sadly, last week at our Anglican General Synod, across Australia, some bishops failed us. You may have seen an article in the Australian. Um, What I think some of the bishops have done is failed in their duty of care to God's church to honor God's marriage design. To ensure that we do not ordain people to be leaders who are living in same-sex relationships. Um, There was a vote that was made, and um, the laity and the clergy voted for a biblical definition of marriage, but sadly, the majority of the bishops from across Australia 
voted against it. And really our response is not to point the finger and say, you fools, but it is to cry wolf and then to pray that God would bring them to repentance. Now sadly, since that event, because it's not just all about sexuality, we've also seen some debate where a number of those bishops have denied issues like sin and Jesus as the means of salvation and the nature of the atonement and indeed even the resurrection. And when that sort of thing is happening, we must cry, wolf. Finally, and I think this is a bit of a longbow I'm drawing here, but let me uh, play with this idea with you. I think there are some wolves in the devil's playground of our daily affections. I think there are some voices, as Langdon very helpfully pointed us to last week, voices that compete with the voice of Jesus. And really what they're doing is they're saying to us, did God really say... I mean, just for example, did God really say that we should not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing and all the more as we see the day approaching, Hebrews 10, 25? Or is it okay for us on a Sunday just to go and join the sporting crew because it's good for my kids and I get to socialize and maybe even I'll bring somebody to church? (laughs) Or maybe it's, did God really say that you don't need to take a Sabbath rest and trust indeed that God will provide in spite of my relentless efforts to work to a point of exhaustion. I don't know what the issue is for you, but the moment that we get to the point where we hear that voice, did God really say, cry wolf? And that's why it's great for us to do this together, to keep sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron. We get caught up in this every day, don't we? That's why we need Jesus. That's why we must read his promises daily and continue to affirm one another in who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he says. Those who are not his sheep do not believe his words or his works. And unlike the hired hands and the wolves, we are his sheep and his shepherds. And as we read in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Well, that's church. Let me finally, my third point, think about our community. And I think I'd like us to just together have a bit of a thought experiment about what it means to be good sheep and shepherds in our community. I know that church and state are separated. Um, That's very evident, um, as we'll see in a moment. But I do think we can help our rulers to be better shepherds, as an analogy. And I do think we can be faithful sheep within our community. And, and the point of application I want to have this week, not surprisingly, is the context of an upcoming federal election. Um, all adults must vote or be fined. Uh, I think that's quite a good arrangement. I've just come back from the UK and I've been talking to friends and family members and many of them are bemoaning Brexit. And I sat down and did the math with them and I said, how is it that we got less than a 50% turnout for the vote and only a marginal 50% of that amount of people got Brexit through, which is about 26% of the total people. It's because we're not required to vote. You don't get punished if you don't vote. And so I did propose to them, well, maybe it'd be a good thing to bring fines in. I don't know. I'm just chewing the cud with you. But, um, but what should we do? We should certainly, because God calls us to do so, pray for the election and pray for our politicians, which Simone wonderfully led us in just a moment ago. Pray that good candidates get in. I think this year there's less to distinguish the parties and policies than there has been in preceding years. And it's quite complicated. But we do want to pray that God would bring in, by analogy, shepherds, not wolves, those inclined to do good rather than evil. I'm I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not standing at the polling booth, right? I'm not telling you who to vote for. 
But what I do want us to think about is a couple of biblical precepts that I think will help us in the week ahead in terms of looking for a, a good person to put our number against. Three biblical observations on politics and government. Firstly, Jesus' government is from God forever on earth and in heaven and in the new creation. So I hate to say it, God, and I don't hate to say it. I love to tell you this, actually. Um, we are political creatures. Okay, because we, we, we talk about religion and politics, which isn't always the dinner conversation. But if you believe Jesus is Savior, you're reli- you've got a religious position. I know it's relationship, but you know what I'm saying. But if you believe Jesus is Lord, you've, you've got a political position. That is that Jesus' authority is superior to every earthly authority. That is our political position. And we should not um, deny this. We should recognize that Jesus has authority over us more than the existing authorities on earth. But secondly, I want to say there are earthly governments. And they exist because these are, this is God's good plan and purpose. And he wants you and I to, verse 1 of Romans chapter 13, be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority in this world except what God has established. So we are to submit to them. And we read how government is God's good gift to us for our good and to punish evil. I'm much happier to have a government like we have in our day than Jesus did in his because Rome's way of governing was pretty brutal. But politicians are also warned by God to be just and to seek the common good and he will judge them for how they use their God-given authority to govern us. My third point is this. We've got to work out who's who. What belongs to Jesus and what belongs to Caesar. Do you remember that moment in Matthew 22 when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and some people come up to him in order to trick him and they say, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Now they know that if he says, yes, pay taxes, that's not going to be popular. If he says, no, he's being seditious and, and rebellious. But what does he do in response? What does he ask for? A coin, yes. A denarius, And he says, whose image is on this coin? And they reply, that's Caesar's face. So very cleverly, Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Our worship is reserved for God alone, but we do pay our taxes and we do honor our government. So what are some good precepts for us in voting for a good person? Just a few ideas. And this is for discussion afterwards. This isn't like, this is ideas according to Robin rather than, you know, the the word of God on this. Firstly, I think voting with love for God and love for our neighbors. It's very easy, isn't it, to think about what are my issues? How can I vote to improve my own circumstances? It'd be nice if we took a posture, and I'm sure many of you do, to vote in a loving way where we think about how can I sacrifice my good for the good of others and use my vote for the good of others rather than issues that affect me. That'd be loving God and neighbor, wouldn't it? Voting prayerfully and carefully in that way. Secondly, Voting can be made with a particular concern for our marginalized. Many members of our society don't have the freedoms and liberties and the, and the blessings that we have. Wouldn't it be good if we began to say to ourselves, how can my vote impact the poor or the elderly or the widows or the refugees or the fatherless or the unemployed or the disabled or, or the vulnerable babies amongst us? I'm sorry to say that for those who signed the petition last week for Right to Life to try and stall the legislation for New South Wales to embrace euthanasia, it went through. It's in phase one. It's got to be reviewed. Um, Please continue to pray that good measures will be put in to protect um, the right to life for those who are vulnerable amongst us. (coughs) 
you. Um, thirdly, I think um, voting for somebody who's got a posture or principles that align with what I'm seeking may change my prejudice. I know that some of us are really entrenched. I've always voted liberal. I've always voted labor. I've always wanted to vote Greens. Like whatever your position is, sometimes it's interesting, isn't it, when we really do some homework on the people, we might go, actually, I'm more aligned with this person and their strong convictions than I am with this party with which I've always voted. So we're going to put some resources up on the website this week that I hope will be helpful as we prayerfully discern a way forward about which candidates we're going to put forward. Um, Fourthly, voting for someone who may not be a Christian but has a good ethic. I know that it's wonderful that there's followers of Jesus um, amongst the candidates and in government, but sometimes we also want to be realistic about voting for people who have strong moral convictions and that we know where they stand. Uh, Anybody seen Hamilton? You know what I mean, right? You know. Anyway, um, sorry, that was exclusive. Um, Also, can I just say, there's a really helpful website called uh, religiousdiscriminationsurvey.au. That'll be on the website as well. Um, That's a review by Bishop Michael Stead, our bishop, on the Religious Discrimination Bill. Whomever we vote for, we do not want to see restrictions on the gospel. And some people are even putting forward restrictions on Christian assemblies and not having SRE. Those kind of things are really bad in my view. Finally, can I say, whatever we do, we can trust that Jesus is Lord. He's got it all under his control. Our choice we make, we rejoice prayerfully and carefully. Um, but God will place people in authority and then they will move out again in time. But Jesus is always on the throne. And that's how we finish, brothers and sisters. He is the good shepherd. And he will be forever. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's not a hired hand. He's not a wolf. He's not even a sheep in shepherd's clothing. He is God. He made the one perfect sacrifice for you and for me, for our sins, that we might know forgiveness and reconciliation with God. He has been raised to life again. He rules as Lord, and he will come again in glory. That's the wonder of I am the good shepherd. Let's pray together. Father God, as we sheep and sheep in shepherd's clothing seek to honor the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, may we remember that in the end the lamb in the center of the throne will be our shepherd forever, that he will lead us to springs of living water, that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So thank you that we can be confident that the good shepherd Jesus can use even silly sheep like us to be his good shepherds in his church and good shepherds in our community. May we surrender ourselves to his service this week. For your glory we pray. Amen. Thank you.